St. James, uh, those of you who are able to make it on uh, Labor Day weekend, when we're always sort of down attendance-wise, welcome to the people who are watching on the live stream or who are watching a recording of this. We're glad that you're here with us too. Uh, read the notices. You need to uh, figure out for yourself what's going on. It came to my attention this week that there is a direct correlation between people reading the announcements and their age. And the younger you are, the less likely you are to read the announcements. And so you guys are all like very, very young demographically. Make sure, I'm telling all of you, make sure you read the announcements. I don't have anything in there to add except for one thing. We're not having youth catechism class today. I forgot that it was Labor Day weekend and people would be gone. And so we're not gonna meet today. Also, we won't meet for the next two weeks uh, because of meetings I have after church. So um, I'll put it in the bulletin and make sure that we know whenever we're picking up youth confirmation class again here in a few weeks. That's all I've got. Stand with me and let me pray for us and then we'll continue in worship. God, be with us this morning. We come to you with our shame and with our hopelessness and with all of our false identities that we bring to you. Uh, the masks that we wear in front of each other, uh, the efforts that we make to get things done that are important to us. And we freely admit that none of these things have paid out. None of these things have satisfied us. We need you. And so this morning, Father, we're asking you, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, send your son Jesus here to minister to us directly in person with his word and with his sacrament. That's what we need. That's what our hearts crave. In the name of your Holy Spirit, we're asking you to do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. 
Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sins to God our Father. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn.
psalm for this morning is uh, this selection of verses from Psalm 28. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 35. This is a prophecy that Isaiah makes about God coming home, God coming back and doing stuff. And you'll see when we get in here that this is actually a prophecy that uh, it's about Jesus. You'll notice when we get, uh, if you've read the New Testament or all, at all, this will sound a lot like Jesus to you. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Could you stand with me for the gospel reading? The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark chapter 7. From there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
this morning, and this is going to be the sermon text, is from Romans 13 and 14. It's kind of long. Uh, it's actually three distinct, it's part of Paul's flow of his argument. I did not want to read the whole of the two chapters. And so there's three sections which are related to each other, but uh, there's breaks in the middle, which you can tell when I'm reading. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Jumping down to Revelation, uh, to Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Jumping down to verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing's unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, I'm not looking forward to preaching this sermon at all. This is my, in, of all the sermons I've preached in my life, this is by far my least favorite sermon of all time. It's like not even close. This is my least favorite sermon of all time. One is that um, uh, it's not really a sermon. It's more luxury than sermony. And I always feel weird doing that from the pulpit. Um, the other reason, though, is because... Um, Look, I'm going to be talking about something that that is uh, somewhat controversial, and I'm going to end up saying things that make all of you upset with me at some point in the sermon, I'm afraid. Now, that might just be a baseless fear, because um, you you know that, like, like, I'm a huge people pleaser. Like, it's one of my idols. And so, like, if I think that people are upset with me, I'm, like, horrified, and that's always sort of lingering in the back of my mind when I talk. It's probably, it might, might not be that big of a deal, but in my mind, I'm like, I don't want these people to be upset with me. So as I talk, just be gracious to me, knowing that, like, I guess I should be gracious to you, but knowing that I'm super nervous. I'm super nervous to talk about this. And as I talk, I want you to believe in your heart that I love you and that I'm on your side. And also, rule number two, just let me, don't, I'm going to say some stuff and you're going to be like, oh man, I hate this guy. And just keep on listening because it's not going to be as simple as, maybe I just don't want you to hate me, but it won't be as simple as that. Just listen, I'm going to, this is going to be nuanced. There's going to be multiple levels moving in this and it's going to be complicated in a way that's biblically healthy, but it is foreign to our culture, which likes simple bifurcations which likes simple us versus them. And so please just give me a listen, okay? And then, I mean, you're free to disagree with me too. But I'm going to try as best as I can to explain what Paul is saying here. Okay, so the reason why I'm talking about this, the reason why we're not talking about Mark today and we're talking about Romans is we're doing something I hate to do. I, I don't ever do this. And that is like I'm, I'm speaking this morning to a cultural moment. The shelf life of this sermon is going to be very, very thin because in a month, none of us are going to care about this. But I wanted to talk about it because right now, a lot of us are thinking a lot about it. And that is, and this is so, okay, rule number three, do not be uncomfortable with each other. I'm going to talk about the mask mandate this past week. And like some of you are wearing masks and some of you aren't, and you're not going to be uncomfortable with each other, okay? That's the rule. You're not going to look around and be like, oh my gosh, should I put a mask on? Or oh, they should rip a mask off, those jerks. You're not going to be like that, okay? All right. I want to talk about the mask mandate if I can. And what I want to do is, is I want to give us biblical principles for how to deal with, not, it's, this is less about mask mandates than it is about how to live in a society that has a government, which may not do very much and sometimes may overreach. But to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what I want to do this morning. All right. So be super gracious with me. Three principles. I'm going to give you three principles. Here's the first one. And hear me out. Wait till the end of the sermon before you pass judgment. All right, I'm done qualifying and like protecting myself. All right, probably. It's it's the idol. I can't get rid of it. Pray for me. Principle number one. 
Obedience to the government is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable in scripture. We're called to obey the government. Romans 13.1 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We're called to obey governments, even bad governments. Our first response to this is like, well, not this government, because this government is corrupt and evil, and we've got to like fight back. And I'm just saying, Paul does not give us this option in here. Paul says, every Christian must be obedient to the governments. Remember, too, that the government, do you know who the emperor is in charge when, Rome, when Paul writes the book of Romans? It's Nero. This is the guy who takes Christians and douses them in you know, a pitch and then impales them alive and burns them alive to light his garden parties. Why? Because he screwed up. And it's easy to blame the Christians because they're a minority and everybody's just more than willing to, satis- to be satisfied with blaming the Christians because, you know, they're so small, what are they going to do? This is, the same, this is the same Nero who encouraged abortion to control population. This is, this is a bad, bad guy. Paul knows he's a bad guy. Paul's probably aware that at some point this guy's going to kill him. At least Paul in Philippians is like determined to go Preach to, preach to Nero, and he knows I'm, I might give my life up there, which he ends up doing. So Paul, this is not some sort of qualified, you obey the governments as long as they're biblical, or you obey the governments because as long, you know, you know, as long as they agree with you. Christians obey the governments all the time. There's a, there's a qualifier I'll get to here in a moment, but Christians obey the governments all the time. Okay? Three, three ways that Paul does this, and he ramps it up each time. Paul talks about the government. Paul talks about Nero's government in a way that ramps it up and gets it closer to actually God's will. The first way he talks about is this. Uh, This is uh, still in verse one. There is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Every government has been instituted by God. The, The governments that exist have been created by God. Again, he doesn't say just good governments. He says every government that exists, God put it there. It was God's will to put that government there. This is hard sometimes, you know, because we, we, I mean, we see governments and we see people who are in power doing evil, bad things. And it's hard to like compute this. Like, what do you mean God put that person in charge, that God instituted that government? It's, actually, at some point you have to say, all right, it doesn't make any, it's not the way I would have done it. I didn't want that person to be president. I didn't want that person to be governor. I didn't want that person to be the mayor of Glen Carbon or whatever. But at some point, you just have to say, okay, Paul, I agree with you. I, I might not like it, but I agree with you. The governments that exist have been instituted by God. They've been established. God put them there. But it's not just that God has instituted and established them. It's actually more intense than that. Here's the second. He ramps this up. Look down at verse 4. For he, the emperor, is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, etc. For he is the servant of God. It's not just that the government that exists has been instituted by God. It's that the government that exists is the servant of God. That government is actually working for God. And now some of you are like, no, I cannot believe that. That government is evil and bad. I can't believe that it's working for God. Now, let me just say this. I want you to, like, you, you, you remember Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh's an evil, bad man. Pharaoh's a baby killer, uh, Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh is, uh, he's determined to either eradicate Israel with genocide or enslave them. 
He's a bad, bad guy. But Moses insists that Pharaoh's actually working for God. Says it several times. Paul reiterates it in Romans chapter 9. Pharaoh, God raised up Pharaoh to show his glory by crushing Pharaoh. God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could do these miraculous works to show off his own power. Like Pharaoh didn't know it. You know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh thought that he was the God. But all the time he was working for the creator God. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? Same thing. Cyrus, he's actually called by Isaiah the anointed. He's called the Messiah. He's a pagan. He is like the most popular king in the history of Persia and Iran is Cyrus. He's this pagan god, a pagan king who believes himself to be a deity, who believes himself to be God. Isaiah calls him the Messiah. Why? Because he's a believer in Jesus? No, he doesn't. He rejects God because God is actually using him. He doesn't know it, but he's the servant of God. Caesar's the same way. Caesar and his forces reject the Messiah. And yet they are the very means by which the Messiah is crushed for our salvation. So when, 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 when Paul says that the government is the servant of God, he doesn't necessarily mean that the government is right all the time, right? He's not saying you should just passively accept everything your government does. You shouldn't. You should speak out against evil. You should challenge the authorities that be. You should speak biblical truth to the political powers of this age. And if they don't listen, you should take means within our current political system to get rid of them. You should vote them out. However, the ones that are in there are instituted by God and they're actually working for God. They're servants of God. But it's not just they're instituted by God and not just they're serving God. It's actually even more deep than that. Look at what he says down here in verse six. For the same reason you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God. So he's jumped from instituted by to servant of God and now he uses the word minister. The Greek word behind the word minister there is the exact same word that we get the word liturgy from. This word in the New Testament is always used as Christian ministers, not just, not, not just Christian pastors, but like Christian people ministering the gospel, ministering the love of Jesus to other people. Always used, except for maybe here, although I would argue that it's used that way here too. The powers that be are ministers of God. In other words, they represent God. They act for God. They speak for God. Don't let your mind be blown. I know we're coming close here to the problem of evil and how can a good God work through evil means? But there's a place when you get to the heart of that problem where you're just like, I don't know what's going on here. But if Nero has been instituted by God and is a servant of God and is actually a minister of God, then I have to believe that about all the other government authorities that have ever existed. I mean, Nero's kind of bottom of the barrel when it comes to evil political authorities. Um, the government is ministering for, working for, and representing God. How does this work when the government's clearly, frequently, I should say not clearly, when, when governments are frequently corrupt and evil and advocate for super, super bad things? Well, it works like this. It's a part of God's command. There's a section in Luther's large catechism. I'm going to read to you uh, now. It's actually in the section on baptism. I'm not going to talk about baptism here. But he's talking about the command to obey our parents, the fourth command, and you know, in Luther's explanation of the fourth commandment, you guys remember this from your uh, confirmation classes, right? Uh, what does the fourth commandment mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise our anger, our parents, and other authorities, right? Uh, it's not just about parents, it's about other authorities. So what Luther says here about parents applies equally well to the political powers that be, even the bad ones. Because all of you who have parents, 
And all of you who are parents know that you're not, like your kids know that you're lousy. Like my kids know that I'm, I lose my temper. My kids know that like when I want them to hang out with me, I insist that they do it. And then when I want to be by myself, I push them away. My kids know that I'm lazy. My kids know that I love myself more than them. My kids all know that. And so, yet God commands them to honor, you know about that about your parents too. God commands you to honor and obey and respect your parents. How does that work when you look at your parents or when you look at the governor or the president or the mayor or the, the Madison County chairman, when you look at them and say, oh, I can't respect those people. How does it work? Here's what Luther says. If we regard these persons with reference to their noses, eyes, skin and hair, flesh and bones, they look no different from the heathen. Like, why, why should I listen to these lousy people? They don't look like special people to me. Someone might come and say, why should I think more of this person than of others? But because the commandment is added, you shall honor your father and mother and other authorities. I see another man adorned and clothed with the majesty and glory of God. You actually just have to believe the commandment in order to get to that point. Because we don't look at our parents and we don't look at our politicians and say, I see men and women adorned and clothed with the majesty and glory of God. And yet, that's what Paul wants us to do in Romans 13. The, the powers that be are ministers of God. They're liturgists of God. The commandment, I say, is the golden chain about his neck. Yes, the crown on his head, which shows me how and why I should honor this particular flesh and blood. We do not have an option to not obey the government. It's commanded to us in Scripture. And not just obey, but to love and pray for and honor Peter says in 1 Peter 2, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He knows the emperor is a bad guy, but honor the emperor. Why? Because you believe in a sovereign God. You believe that the powers that be were put there by God. You, you might not have voted for them, and you might have had, had spectacularly good reasons for not voting for them. That's not the issue here. The issue isn't if they're right or wrong or if they're good or bad. The issue is, are they the powers that be? And if they are, they've been put there by God himself. As his servants, as his ministers. And so we're required to obey them. This is hard to do. This is hard to do, I know. I send, um, this happens frequently in my house. One of my kids will be upstairs, you know, messing around in their room. It'll be time to eat. And I'll send another kid upstairs to say, hey, go tell your sister that it's time to eat. And, you know, the kid will go upstairs and then tell the person, hey, dad says it's time to eat. Come on downstairs. And then they'll come downstairs and I'll say, hey, did you, are they coming? And the kid will say, I, I went up and told her, but like, I don't know if she's coming or not. And sometimes I'll have to go up there and I'll have to say, hey, she told you to come downstairs and eat. It's time for dinner. Where are you at? Well, what, you know, what happened is, is your sister comes to your room and says, hey, come downstairs now. I don't have to obey you. You're, what makes you better than me? I know all your weaknesses. I know what a crummy person you are. I know how bossy you always are. This is just another example of that. But I got to go up there and I've got to say, hey, listen, when I send your sister up here to tell you to come down to dinner, I need you to do it because I'm asking you to obey me. And your sister is just speaking for me. And that's what's going on here. God sends us political leaders. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Most of them are in the spectrum. It doesn't matter. We are called to obey them. No questions asked. Now I say no questions asked. There is one time in scripture when we don't obey the authorities and that's when they tell us, to disobey Jesus. In Acts 5, the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin and told, you're not allowed to witness anymore. 
And they basically say, okay, you're going to beat us. You're going to beat us. There's nothing we can do about that. It actually makes us happy to get beaten for Jesus' sake. But we must obey God rather than man. And when the government says to do something that's contrary to the gospel or to God's explicit commands, we as Christians are responsible to obey God rather than man. But when we're told by the government to wear masks, which isn't a gospel issue and isn't a commandment issue, we're not permitted to say, we're not doing that because we don't feel like it. Now, let me say this. What do you do when you have two governments, two parts of the government that say two different things? When you have a governor who mandates masks, uh, but the county district attorney says, I don't have any ability or any desire to enforce the mask. What do you do then? Well, then, then, uh, it, then you have choices. So here's what I was saying. Like everything I just set up to now, like if you're not wearing a mask and your reason is, is because, well, the district attorney says, I, I don't need to. You're totally cool with me. If you're wearing a mask and you're like, the governor said we need to wear masks. And so you're wearing masks. You're totally cool with me. But here's my whole point in saying all that just now. I, 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 I probably maybe just wasted 15 minutes of your life to say, this doesn't apply to you. But here's what, here's, what, here's what does apply to you. Here's why I did say that. If you say, I'm not gonna wear a mask because I'm an American and nobody steps on my freedom unnecessarily like that. Or I'm not gonna wear a mask because this is a church and they don't got any right to come in here and take away our religious liberty. Then you are wrong and you need to repent because that's not an option. I know you're an American. I know when we don't like what the government does, we steal tea and throw it in the harbor. I know that's a part of our founding myth is that we are the people who don't get told what to do. Unfortunately, Paul's not a tea party kind of guy. I don't mean that in the political movement. I just mean in, 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 in the notion that like, if you don't like what the government does, it's your responsibility to stand up and tell them you aren't gonna obey them. That's not the way it works in scripture. Now, Government says wear a mask. Government says you don't need to wear a mask. You're free to do what you want. But don't not wear masks because I'm American and nobody tells me what to do. Then we need to repent, okay? That's basically the whole point of that. So some of you have masks on, some of you don't have masks on. What we need to do is we need to explore the question, what do we do about masks then? And, and now this is not a political issue at this point. It's a cultural issue. Because wearing masks and not wearing masks, unfortunately, has turned into the Pharisee hand washing. Why don't your disciples wash their hands, they say to Jesus. Jesus has reasons for this. We need to discuss what are the principles, there's two more principles, what are the biblical principles we can use to grapple with the fact that some of us aren't wearing masks and some of us are and others of us are uncomfortable with the other side like flexing on us by doing what they do. Two biblical principles here that are gonna come up in the rest of the reading. The first one is this. The lordship of Jesus is the most important thing in the entire world. Every decision that you make, we must obey we must obey the governments because they are manifestations and ministers of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But if the governments say two different things and you have the freedom to choose the two different things, go back to the deeper question is, what does my citizenship in the kingdom of God mean for how I wear master or not wear master or any other thing? That's the principle. That's the question you have to answer. Let's think about this this way. Go to um, Romans 14 and verse 1. Here's the middle section. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let me tell, what, let me tell you what's going on there. Um, this is a situation that Paul deals with in his letters uh, here in Romans. He deals with it in Romans 14. 1 Corinthians 8, it's kind of a big section where he's dealing with it. 
And the issue is, should Christians eat the meat that's been offered in the pagan temples? No grocery stores in the ancient world. Like if you want beef for dinner, there's not like a a beef market where you would go. The place where you would go would be the pagan temple. And you would say, hey, here's some money. Um, Can I have some of that meat? You take it home, you know, um, feed it to your family. Enjoy a nice tasty meal. A lot of Christians said, that's cool. It's just meat, right? I mean, God invented cows. Like you can go and you can buy the cow, like pay for it. You gotta, if you want meat, you gotta pay for it somehow. You pay the temple. Those idols are really fake anyway. There's no such thing as of gods and goddesses. There's only one God and one Lord. Jesus is what Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 8. Um, it's just tasty meat. I'm gonna eat it. Some Christians though, especially those who uh, uh, are coming from Judaism, who came to faith in Jesus Christ from Judaism, say, well, wait a minute, you can't do that because those pagan temples are evil. They do evil things there. And when you go there and you buy that meat, that meat has actually been sacrificed to idols. And when you take your money and you pay it to the pagan temple, you're handling it, you're handing it to a prostitute probably. You're, you're supporting pagan prostitution. You're supporting demon worship with your money. You can't do that. And now Paul says, you get these two people in the church, and the one people are like, it's just meat. And the other people are like, you can't spend money to support institutions that support evil like that and eat meat that's offered to idols. And Paul's issue here is, the question is not about meat or not meat. The question is not, do you worship on the Sabbath day or not the Sabbath day? The question is, the lordship of Jesus. Is Jesus Lord? And if he is, that radically changes the formula. Because it turns suddenly from a question of what's right or wrong to a question of who's right or wrong. And it's not me or you. Here's how he says it. Uh, Three principles here. Um, on this issue of the worship of Jesus Christ. First of all, the weaker and stronger Christians must freely welcome each other. Verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith, the one who is weak in faith is the one who has the stronger standards. The one who says, you can't spend your money at the temples because that's a pagan place. That's the weaker Christian. What does Paul mean? Paul doesn't mean that they're like flimsier Christians. He just means that their faith is weaker. Their faith struggles with questions of like morality and ethics and cultural issues. The stronger one is the one who doesn't, is, whose faith is not bothered by where the meat came from. I'll just eat it. So he's not, he's not, critic, he's not saying one's better than the other. He's, discuss, he's like pointing out the way that their faith handles the question of meat or no meat. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then you get one person believes they can eat anything, and the other person says no. One person um, observes days, the other person doesn't. Weaker and stronger Christians must freely welcome each other. So here's the first principle. If Jesus is Lord of you mask people, and you are wearing your masks because you believe that Jesus is Lord and you believe the best way to honor him is by obeying the governor and by keeping people safe and wearing your masks, good on you. If you are not wearing a mask, and the reason why you're not wearing a mask is because Jesus is Lord and you struggle with breathing with masks on, and you want to see people's face because you sense the breakdown of community when people have masks on and you can't read their faces. Good on you. If that's the reason why you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, great. Second step, embrace each other. And it's, I'm like, I'm preaching to the choir. I've not known, I've only known of one instance in this church where somebody has been angry that people were or weren't wearing masks. Only one time. The rest of the time, you guys have been great. I'm not like preaching at you to change the way you've been behaving badly. I'm just pointing out to you biblical principles for grappling intellectually with the question of should I wear a mask or not. 
fundamentally, it's an issue of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if your lordship, if, if your submission to Jesus requires you to wear a mask, good. If your submission to Jesus requires no mask, good. Do it in faith, though, which is the second principle. Whatever we do, we must do it in faith and to honor Jesus. These two things. Do it in faith and do it to honor Jesus. Verse 5, look down at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, this is hard for contemporary postmoderns who live in the Instagram culture to do. To be convinced in your own mind that you are right with God in your behavior, and yet freely accept and welcome other brothers and sisters who have a different opinion about whether you can eat meat to idols or not, or whether you should shop at Target or not, or whether you should wear masks or not. To freely welcome and accept other people, because Jesus is their Lord too. And Jesus is my Lord. That's his next point. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. This is the third point, the third principle here. The lordship of Jesus Christ means that we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to Jesus. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. This might be the most anti-American verse in the entire New Testament. We don't belong to ourselves. I'm not my free sovereign individual. Lots of Christians talk about the, like, the whole issues surrounding the pandemic and whatever about you just have to choose what's right for yourself. No, you don't ever get to choose what's right for yourself. You do what comes underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't belong to myself. I don't get to choose what's right for Aaron. I have to choose what's right for, as best as I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, I pray that God would give me wisdom. And I know I screw it up. But I'm supposed to choose what's right for these people and for my wife and for you guys. That's my circle of community. Like, I, I don't exist for myself. I exist for you because I exist for Jesus. Jesus is my Lord, not Aaron Miller. That's the third principle. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord of the universe. If we live, verse 8, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Here's the good news right here. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Look, every time that I've been Lord of my existence, every time I've done what's right for myself because I'm an American and nobody tells me what to do, I've almost blasted my marriage. I've almost lost my kids. I've lost jobs. I've lost money. I've lost self-respect. I've lost other people's respect every time, every single time in my life. And every single time I've been like, okay, Jesus, this is your ship and you're going to have to drive this. And I don't have any right to make, call any shots here. He brings me along into freedom. The freedom that I try to get by, by being my own person, I lose. The freedom that I'm afraid I'm going to lose by saying, I, I live to the Lord, I die to the Lord, and he's the Lord and sovereign of me. I get it's the, it's, that's the paradox, but that's what we're called to do. So, okay, everything in your culture, everything in your culture is telling you that you have to fight for your own, that the American dream is the most important thing in the world, that you struggle and fight to get ahead, that the most important thing to do is follow your own heart and to do what's true to yourself. Like, and, and I've got like 30 seconds to stand up here and tell you it's a lie. It's not. The right to wear a mask is not your choice. It belongs to Jesus. The second part of that too is that it might end up being different choices for different people. That's why it's complicated. And to, so we'll get to this in just a second. To fall into the false cultural narrative that you're either a masked person or a not a masked person is not biblical. You're not a masked person. You're not a non-masked person. You're a Jesus person if you're a Christian. That's what you are first and foremost. Stop believing the lies. 
the American dream lie, the lie of, the lie of personal self-sovereignty has only created anger in your heart. It's only created fear. It's only created anxiety. Let it go. Let Jesus be the Lord of the universe. It's possible to have different opinions and practices about things that aren't gospel-centric or aren't God's commands. And to still be underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What does he say here? What does he say earlier? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of Jesus? It's before Jesus that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. If you ever look at another brother or sister and you're like, oh, they're not right with God because they're wearing a mask or they're not wearing a mask. I, I, this is not really about masks. You know, it's about like these non-command gospel choices. You're wrong because Jesus is able to make them stand. Okay, this brings us to our third point. If we're all into the lordship of Jesus, then I, and, I, and I've been handing around to this, then I am free to give up my rights to serve you. If Jesus is Lord and I'm not, I am liberated to not have to fight for my own personal rights. I'm liberated to serve you. The big issue isn't masks. Here's the, here's the secret that the culture doesn't want you to know. The big issue isn't masks. The big issue isn't even the virus. The big issue is whether we Christians will live under the lordship of Jesus by loving each other and by creating a counterculture, subversive culture of love and justice and righteousness and open welcome to people who disagree with us. That's what the culture doesn't want, but that's what the kingdom of God demands. So the kingdom of God just doesn't demand, it fosters, it creates, it builds up love and acceptance. Look at verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 13 through 19. Therefore, because all this is true, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Check out verse 14, this is important. This is gonna help those of you who are the stronger brothers and sisters to like navigate relationships without being a total jerk. Paul says this, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He's talking about the meat offered to idols. Like, there's nothing wrong with that meat. You wanna go and you wanna pay that money to the pagan prostitutes to get that meat, go home and have that meat for dinner. Totally fine. I know that, but it is, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Paul says, I know it's not unclean, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Do you see what he's saying there? Is the, meat, so is the meat offered to idols, is it clean or unclean? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on what you think about it. If you can eat it with faith and confidence that it's a gift of God and you can eat it with praise and thanksgiving in your heart to the praise of uh, Lord Jesus, it's clean. But if you think in your head, if I eat that, I will be disobeying God, even if actually there's nothing wrong with the meat and if you ate it, you wouldn't be disobeying God, the very fact of eating it when you think you might be disobeying God is itself disobedience to God. See what I'm saying? Like if I think that it's wrong to put this candle out, if I thought, if I th if I thought that it would be against God's will to put this candle out, I would be wrong. It's not, it's just a candle. I can blow it out or it can stay lit or whatever. But if I thought that it was wrong and I did it anyway, I would actually be disobeying God even though I wasn't technically disobeying God. Does everybody understand what Paul's saying there? Okay, good. Listen, it's the same way with so many different things. Like, you do not want to cause people to stumble. I'm going to give you two practical things and we're going to be done. This is kind of a weird ending to a sermon. I don't have like a, I don't have a poem or a Slam bang finish for you. I'm just going to give you two practical things. And I am, I'm offering these up, honestly, as suggestions. We're serious today. We're just working through principles. I'm not giving you commands. 
I want you to have the freedom. This is why, I mean, so the elders talked about this and it's almost an insta-call. We'll never ever say, there's a sign up there that says, you know, masks are, um, what does it say? Like appreciated or something like that or like requested. We'll never ever demand that you wear masks in this church because there's different voices from the government saying different things. So we don't have the right to put that on anybody's conscience. Also, if somebody, if I thought that wearing masks was a sin against God and somebody walked in here with no mask on, I would still let them worship with it. It's not the way to deal with anybody who disagrees with you is to say, you can't come into my building disagreeing with me. But here's the deal. I want you to do this on, on your own is the wrong way to say this. I want you to do this under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in concert with each other. All right. So two principles. I'm wearing a mask today. I hate it. I hate the masks. When I get up here to start preaching, I just got done singing real loud into my mask. And so I spend the first five minutes of my sermon kind of sucking for wind. I also hate not seeing your faces. I hate the vibe in here when you're wearing masks. Like this has always been like last week, it was so alive and loud in here. You know, it was packed and everybody was talking real loud. And then this week it's kind of down. And the reason why is because it's just hard to talk to people with masks on. So I hate it. However, if one of you is convinced in your heart, underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, that the governor said we should wear masks, and so Romans 13 requires us to wear masks, if that's what your conviction is, that might not be my conviction, but I do not want to cause you to stumble by me not wearing my mask. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want you to walk in here and be like, well, Aaron's not wearing a mask. Maybe I'm wrong about that conviction. And any part of your mind be like, I'm willing to disobey God because maybe I should not wear my mask even though I think it's disobedient to God because Aaron's not. I don't want to encourage you to stumble. Now, that's just, that's just where I'm at. Others of you aren't in the same position. And so that's, I'm not putting that on you. But I do want you to think about that. This is a part of the whole thing about you don't make that decision on your own. You make that decision in concert with others. One last, one last application. Take it or leave it. Also, this is not even like direct information. It's very much like open-ended. Based upon what he's saying here, let's not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. We don't live to ourselves. We live for Jesus, first of all, and we live for each other. We are not going to participate in a bifurcated Instagram us versus them culture where the culture tries to put you into a position where you are siding with some sort of human group or institution. I don't know, the mask or the non-mask people. But instead, we're going to be Jesus people who live for each other. With that in mind, here's the question. Are masks good or bad? And the answer is, it depends. Right? You aren't mask people. You aren't non-mask people. You're Jesus people. Which means this. That my guess is, I don't have any commands or any specific instances for you. There is an appropriate time and a place to wear a mask. If you're around somebody who might get sick, and it's possible that you could, even a possibility that you could have the sickness, I think you should probably consider wearing a mask. You do not want to make somebody else sick. If you're around somebody, though, and that danger's not there, and they need your face, it would be wrong of you to put a mask on. Like if, if, if Reeve comes to me and says, Dad, I need to talk to you about something important, and I say, hey, hold, let me put a mask on first, that would be wrong to her. It would be cutting her off from my presence. Do you see why it's, it's not a, it's not, this is not a simple yes or no? And we get frustrated because we let the culture push us into a simple yes or no thing. 
Like you, pray, you need to pray about this. You need to live underneath the lordship of Jesus. You need to live in love with community. And then you need to make flexible, biblically informed, loving decisions based upon the circumstances that you find yourself in that community. Sometimes you eat the meat. Sometimes you don't eat the meat. Sometimes you circumcise Timothy. Sometimes you, refer, you, sometimes you refuse to circumcise Titus. That's what Paul does. Sometimes you, sometimes you worship on the Sabbath. Sometimes you pick a different day. Sometimes you wear the mask. Sometimes you don't wear the mask. And you know why? Because Jesus is Lord, not the mask people, not the non-mask people, not you, not me. Jesus is Lord, and that means we've been liberated to love each other. The end. I don't have a slam bang finish. Let's stand, let's pray, then we'll come have communion. And when you come have communion today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and that he accepts you, no questions asked. And that everything that's gone into your decision this morning to wear a mask or to not wear a mask is swallowed up in the blood of Jesus. And he doesn't see a mask and he doesn't see your face. He sees you united to his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to live in that luxury. I want you to live in that peace and in that hope. I want you to bathe in his acceptance of you. And I want you to let that acceptance flow through you to serve other people with your face unmasked or with your face masked in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking away our shame. Thank you for taking away our hopelessness. Thank you for picking off our idols one by one and showing them to be the false, empty liars that they are. Jesus, give us you. We need you, Jesus. We need you more than anything. Our minds, our decisions, our thoughts, our words are so affected by our sinful nature and by our sinful culture, by political movements, by entertainment movements, by pressures in media, social media, and in regular media. And God, we need you. We've drifted so far away from you. We've let ourselves and our decisions be informed by all these other false idols. Father, fill us up on your Holy Spirit. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray for everybody who's sick this morning in our church and outside of our church, those who've had COVID and those who are struggling now with COVID, those who will get COVID in the future. We pray that you would give strength and healing to their bodies, that you would allow us as a church to minister and to support, to be a support to uh, our brothers and sisters who are sick. I pray especially this morning that you'd be with Sue Bradley, uh, Shayla Walsh's mother who had a knee replacement uh, several weeks ago and really hard time bouncing back from that and ended up in the hospital with some uh, alarmingly low potassium levels and we thank you that um, you've brought her out of the hospital now, but Father, help Sue continue recovering, keep on pouring health and energy into her body and help her knee to heal as well. Be with all of us who are worried and concerned. Be with all of us who are um, dealing with relationships that are strained by isolation or different opinions about stuff. Father, be with our church. Help us to love each other more than we love our positions that we take on non-gospel-centered and non-command issues. God, just heal us. Give us all kinds of holistic healing from the inside out, our bodies, our minds, our relationships, our souls. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with all of our churches, all of our sister churches, especially in this area, our LCMS sister churches, our sister churches that are preaching your gospel right now. Help us to see your kingdom grow. Father, we want to be that countercultural kingdom group. We want to be Jesus people. We want to rule and reign over Glen Carbon in your name. To rule and reign through 
self-sacrifice and lowliness and service to reign underneath the authority of your cross. Father, help Glen Carbon to be the kind of place that even if they disagree with what St. James teaches, that they would long for us to always be here because they know that we are servants of the, servants of the village and of Edwardsville too. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only come to you because the blood of your son Jesus has covered up all of us and presented us to yourself faultless before your throne. And so now we come boldly as your children and we ask these requests of you. In the name of our brother, your son, Jesus. Amen. Confess your faith with me, if you can, with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. Spirit who 
makes us one. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.
Let me, let me uh, say the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go in God's peace.